Blog Talk Radio. Heard in your stories told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB Lighthouse Christian Radio. Oh my goodness, what a show we're going to have tonight. It's only an hour, so it's going to fly by faster than it usually does. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank my mother for tuning in as well. Thanks, Mom. Hi, Mom. How are you? Can't wait to see you soon. And, um, She's, I'm biased, but uh, but you would be too if you had a mother like her because she's just the most amazing person I know. Um, anyways, uh, tonight we come to you with uh, ethical expert Melissa Hurry, and she is a regular contributor, as you know. Melissa's just gonna we're gonna talk for a few minutes about um, about the conditions of the injustice system in Oklahoma right now, and particularly discussing this matter with uh, about Julius Jones, because Julius Jones has uh, been recommended for commutation, as uh, most of you know that have been tuning in regularly, and yet he has been uh, given a date uh, by the state for an execution. Now, how does any of this make sense? Isn't this cruel and unusual punishment? And what is it going to take to uh, get Governor Fitt to actually sign off on the commutation and, to, and take that uh, death sentence off of the, out of the consideration, just wipe it out completely? After all, uh, he is wrongfully convicted. And we also have with us tonight we have Jimmy Lawson, James Lawson. I'm not sure how formal things go with uh, for you, Jimmy, but you are a mayor. He's a mayoral candidate, so we are very, very uh, happy to have Oklahoma City mayoral candidate and good friend of Julius Jones on with us as well tonight. So hello to hello to both of you. How are you both tonight? Good evening. Um, Good evening, Tanya. Appreciate you having me. I'm excited about this amazing opportunity today to be a part of your show, and we're going to have a great time today. We we really are. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hi, Tanya. I'm doing okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming on. I know that you've got so much going on. You're working on your thesis, and you're busy advocating, so great to have you with us as as always you know when when you can come on so we kind of like your regularness with us here um this show tonight is brought to you in coordination with Mar- marcel reed and the annual whistleblower summit and as well it's also brought to you in coordination with journeys to justice incorporated and it is a nonprofit that helps people that have been victim of uh with unfairness in the public forum and and public corruption quite frankly so uh 
how does I'm just curious. I'm going to come back to that, but I'm just curious how it makes one feel that's actually running for for a position in the public in a public office. You know how sad that must be to make somebody that person feel to hear that there's a need for something like that. Obviously, Oklahoma isn't the only problem where there are problems. We don't believe that there are problems with every public uh, employee, with every, with every public appointee, with everyone who has voted in, been voted in. We don't feel that that is the case. But unfortunately and sadly, what we have is far too many errors and far too many malfeasance as well that have created such a, 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 a such a need for reform that uh, this is why we continue talking about it. Because those in the decision-making positions, far too many of them are not making the correct decisions. And it is very sad that most of these things are not made by human error. They're made by um, on purpose on purpose and there's reasons for it and we've discussed all that um and uh and it's part of the good old boy club and it's part of protecting uh it's a part of getting prosecutions and there is bias and there is racism involved where it is as well um so melissa uh, if you would like to if you can please give us some kind of an update on how the things are going with julius jones and what changed since last time you were on with us Hi. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, and, oh, um, would you please introduce who you are? What? As well, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm, I'm gearing up a little late tonight. Forgive me. That's okay. If they don't already know who I am, I, I am Melissa Hurry. I do. Um, I'm from Connecticut. I work for the Office of State Ethics in Connecticut. Um, I've been there for about six years now. And before that, I worked in a private law firm where we did a lot of criminal law, and I was there for 17 years. So I've been around for a while, and I've seen a lot. So um, as for an update of what is going on, um, as you mentioned, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals has scheduled execution dates for seven individuals, and one of those individuals is Julius Jones. Um, Julius's execution date has been scheduled for November 18th, like you mentioned, despite the fact that the Board of Pardon and Parole had uh, recommended commutation to life with parole. Um, Governor Stitt um, came out and said that because he's been scheduled for an execution date, this needs to move to the clemency process. So he now has a clemency hearing scheduled for October 26th. And that's where we stand right now. Okay, October 26th. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now next Sunday we're going to have a show that's completely focused on on the, on this matter because uh, we've got a um, prosecutor that although he was not the prosecutor that uh, put him behind behind bars he certainly is doing the, the very best that he can David Prater to enforce the malfeasance and to <laughs> and to actually you know try to. Uh, uh, um, just drive right through, straight through an, an execu- execution process. And one would want to ask why. One would ask why would anybody ever 
when there has been so many questions about his innocence to begin with? Uh, why would anybody be so quick to, to rush to an execution process when there has been, uh, number one, a commutation that's been recommended, and, and number two, when, you know, I'm sure that he's, uh, he's asked for a new trial, and I'm sure that he had asked, and I understand everything has been exhausted in, in, that, in, in that venue, but he has proclaimed his innocence from day one. And there's so many linking patterns of, uh, of issues that come up with David Prater, the prosecutor, that uh, we're, we're going to have to talk about that next, next Sunday and try to throw some uh, links into into things that are actually very easy to watch as Melissa and set a pattern and, and ask, well, why isn't David Prater himself being investigated? Okay, it, it was a little hard to hear you for a minute. You had faded out a little bit, oh, but you... Oh, I'm sorry. You, you were referring to the fact of why David Prater hasn't been investigated? Is that yes. what you were asking? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Is that any better right now? Oh, yes. Yes, I can hear you better okay. right now. You All right. Just, yeah, well, I was, what I was doing was, yeah, I was, I was pointing out the many different cases and the many different matters that there are regarding David Prater himself and why he isn't being investigated and why would he want to go ahead and investigate departed in the parole board and try to have somebody removed that was just that was just uh, appointed there uh, by Governor Stitt, and and why on earth would he be in such a rush, such a rush to execute Julius Jones? Because and and of course you know we're upset about this with all with all of these men that are being executed uh, because they are all men um, that are uh, dates have been set. But why on earth would he be in such a rush? To execute Julius Jones when it's it's known far and wide that he maintains his innocence. We understand that he has exhausted all of his his court hearings in in essence. But but the fact that he was just commutated, commutated he was just recommended for that. So we have to ask our, ourselves why why is he doing this? Why you know we're finding far and wide that the people that are doing things like what he does, it's just a matter of gaslighting. They turn things around and they, they, they charge people that aren't even guilty with doing things that they're doing themselves. And it's about time that we help these people responsible. I agree. And to, to answer the question as to why he hasn't been investigated and why um, he is so eager to push Julius Jones to execution is the question that you have, I have, and many other people have. And I don't know the answer to that question other than there's, um, and I know you said we're going to talk about this next week, but there's a lot of um, allegations that surround um, D.A. Prater, and they're not just allegations that are made by one person. There are lots of instances that we could talk about where he, I feel, as someone who works in ethics, um, he should most definitely have been investigated for some of his actions, but um, why they're going, he's not having any accountability for the things he does. I mean, we're talking about intimidation witnesses. We're, we're talking about um, using state resources for personal vendettas. There, there's a lot of allegations that surround this man. And I don't have the answer as to why um, these things have not been further pursued when, like I said, there's some very reputable people 
that have made some very disturbing allegations to his, his behavior and his conduct. And we're going to get into that in, in depth next week. You know, and we know that there are, you know, people like Michelle Malkin is is, is mm-hmm. one regarding the Daniel Holt's call case. She has come out and okay. she has said things about uh, about uh, David Prater and uh, and and so there's it, he's just notorious. He he is absolutely notorious. And can you name some of the other cases too oh, that he's been involved in? You, you, he was involved in um, the, the um, firing of his investigator, William Mueller, um, after um, Mr. Mueller's attorney had alleged uh, some very disturbing allegations against um, D.A. Prater in, in that matter. And the allegations were that um, David Prater wanted Mr. Mueller to investigate uh, Representative Chris Steele and the ACLU for any um, illegal or unethical activity that might have been going on between them. And the um, there was actually a tort claim filed against um, D.A. Prater for the firing of, of William Mueller. Um, he had an attorney uh, on his behalf that filed a tort claim. Um, there was a letter that, that he had sent to D.A. Prater, a, a, a cease and desist letter, and there were all kinds of things going on. So it's kind of ironic. I think that um, D.A. Prater is asking the grand jury to investigate the Board of Pardon and Paroles when D.A. Prater has been accused of in, in some very um, reputable allegations that he, he was um, having subpoenas, uh, multi-county grand jury subpoenas on, with no, absolutely no probable cause in this mm-hmm. matter. So, so he's mm-hmm. getting these subpoenas to ask people questions under false pretenses. One of those, pe- one, one of those people was somebody that was closely associated to um, Mr. Mueller. And D.A. Prater apparently um, had a subpoena issued on the, the false pretenses that he was investigating uh, a co- uh, the company that Mr. Mueller's associate or friend worked with and it, it turned out that when they actually, the, inve- the investigator actually went to speak to this man, they were asking him like really personal types of questions against Mr. Mueller and nothing to do with any kind of investigation. Very so that was Okay. So we're, we're going to get into a lot of this more and more in depth uh, on next Sunday. So mark your calendars. Mm-hmm. Next Sunday will be the <laughs> normal time. Thank you for tuning in later today. We appreciate that, listeners. Um, so we'll get more in depth to that in that next Sunday, won't we, won't we Melissa? Um, yeah, and there's more. There's more instances. But like you said, we'll, we, we will definitely get more in depth next Sunday. Okay. Now, um, so... Uh, you know, it's pins and needles, pins and needles, and and what can we do? Once again, you know, send in your send in your emails to uh, the to, to local government. Send in the, your email to governor Governor Stitt. Ask ask for him to, you know, go ahead and sign. You know, or well, actually, now like you said, um, but now there's a different procedure that's taking place. So the in the hearing. So that's interesting. Um, Jimmy Lawson. Now, do you want to talk at all about your friend Julius Jones, or do you want to uh, before we get a, into talking about you as a mayoral candidate? Sure, sure. Uh, we can do that. Just to give listeners an idea of who I am and 
what I do and where I'm from. So here, born and raised in Oklahoma yes, City. Uh, me and Julius have been friends for 30 years, uh, best friends for 30 years. I have been personally fighting for him uh, for 22 years now. So up until the last defense air, you know, I was pretty much in the family um, were the only ones really, you know, in the ball game of trying to get his voice heard, court criminal appeals, Oklahoma Supreme Court, all that good stuff. So I learned so much about this system, in particularly in Oklahoma, uh, when it comes to equity and how they treat, you know, individuals. As you said earlier, you brought up a, a great nuance about that this system, you know, whether we like it or not, is a biased system. Uh, that's the way it was built. So when you talk about what that looks like for the state of Oklahoma, particularly here in Oklahoma County, uh, it's very interesting that Julius Jones is not the only case uh, of this nature. And that's what's very disturbing to me uh, over the past 22 years to understand that we're doing all we could for Julius. But, man, there are hundreds and other thousands of men and women uh, that are wrongfully convicted that, unfortunately doesn't have a voice or, or didn't have the opportunity to have a show like The Last Defense. So that's where the highest concern for me is on the outside looking in saying, hey, we've got a huge problem with the system. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, somebody has to raise that flag to figure out, you know, how can we create some change, you know, for the particular system. Uh, so my career is in finance and education. Um, the last 18, 19 years I've, I've worked in corporate finance for several different industries here in Oklahoma City, oil and gas, uh, and other chemical in industries as a director of finance. And I'm also a college professor uh, at Rose State College. I teach finance and accounting. Uh, I've been doing that for 15 years now. I absolutely love it. I feel like education is one of those deals that, you know, no matter who you are, where you're from, when you have the capacity and ability to learn and acquire, man, nobody can stop you. So that's why I love, you know, being a college professor. So that's kind of who I am. I've been married for 18 years, um, we've got three kids, my oldest is 21, middle daughter 16, baby girl's 13, so I'm not mm -hmm. in my household, four to one, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, the love, I love the love, I love the love that my girls give me, so hopefully, you know, they'll take care of me when I'm an old man. <laughs> well, that's, that's great, and it sounds like you've got the passion um, not only for education because people can learn to become anything that they want to be, but also you have the, that compassion and compassion uh, to teach, to teach that so that they can. Because it, uh, you can make such a difference in somebody's life. Absolutely. You know, what I've heard from Oklahoma City, and one thing that inspired me uh, to run for Oklahoma City mayor was looking at where we are uh, as a city and who has provided resources and who's received resources and who has been on the outside looking in. And what I figured out is that, you know, more times than not, unfortunately, a lot of minorities, whether it's the Latino community or the black community uh, or, or the Indian community, uh, whatever the case may be, they're always the ones that, that are, have their hands waving up. Like, what about us? You know, what about, what about our community? So I started taking a look over the past 10 years about how Oklahoma City functions from a resource standpoint and I figured out some loopholes where I figured out some programs that the city had access or capabilities of that never really tapped into it. So I thought, man, combined with what I've learned through criminal justice for Julius and then on the outside, 
for people. You know, that's where I got my campaign slogan, which is people over politics. I'm not a politician mm-hmm. by nature, but I have a huge heart and desire to help all people. So I thought, what better way, right, to make a stand in this time, in this moment, uh, for people, you know, regardless if it's red or blue, doesn't matter. Can it help you as a person? So that's kind of what I want to tap into. Okay, so then the, now the council, the, the government in Oklahoma City, um, it's a council manager government. Uh, and so can you explain to the listeners what kind of a government that is as opposed to like a small, what a small town would be? So how that sure. works. Sure. So Oklahoma City is a council manager uh, uh, structure, as you notice. So we've got eight councilmen plus the mayor. So the power, the CEO, if you will, of the of the city is the city manager. So it's not really in the mayor's hands per se. We have one who is a city manager who runs the day to day operations. The council and the mayor is more of right underneath the city manager. Uh, however, you know the cool thing about the council manager structure is that, you know, all of these divisions where we have eight wards are all elected in, including the mayor. So the power of the people have the capacity to vote in who they want to. That's the beauty Mm -hmm. behind it. Um, You know, and they have terms. So, you know, you can't get in like a judge and you're there forever until you die. (laughs) So there's eight wards. So there's one from each ward and the mayor. And that, so that means that, that you and the eight wards make up the city council. Is that correct, how that works? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Oh, okay. Right, right. And so then you appoint, at that point, you do appoint the city manager. And um, is that correct? Well, we, we already have a current city manager. So once I get in, I don't have the capacity to change that. Uh, that okay. particular position, yeah, that particular position is kind of a what we call a quasi, which means that the city itself uh, does a normal hiring process to find that. Now, if that city manager happens to be retiring or whatever the case may be, then we'll have an opportunity, you know, to try to find an individual that kind of fits my vision. So we would have that particular type of option, but currently our current city okay. manager um, is still in place. Okay, okay. So then um, – and, and the same thing goes for, like, the city auditor, the municipal counselors, and the municipal court judges, right? But as you said, they all have terms. Bingo. Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. So let me, so let me ask you, if you had a grant for, a, you know, $5 million handed to you for the, for this, for the city of Oklahoma, of Oklahoma, so what, what is it that you would do with that money? So if I had a five billion grant, I would split it between two point five and two point five. The first two point five would be to create and design a uh, oversight unit for our criminal justice system. So they will come mm-hmm. in as a special unit and review cases on a local level uh, and and a county level uh, that that is suspect, right? Those who may be in a position where they think there is some wrongful conviction going on. And we would take the power out of the DA's hands and create this this new division that their sole job would be to rehash the whole case and then provide a recommendation, right, and then give that person the opportunity, uh, you know, at another shot at their case. 
that will be would that be that like be, what Melissa Hurry has been advocating for? Uh, you, you know, conviction integrity units. Is bingo. It, would it be structured that way? Okay. Bingo. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name, but yeah, I knew it had something with integrity. It. Yeah, the conviction integrity unit. Yep. Uh, and then I, the, I, the second, I forget the name of it sometimes too, but because you <laughs> forgot, I remembered. So thank you. And I'll count on you to remember when I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remind you. It's all I talk about. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And then so, the um, yeah. and then my other two point five million would be used to develop what these these centers that I call. And I'll start with one. It's called a youth empowerment center. My vision and my idea about how we can recreate and change this paradigm for Oklahoma City is through our youth. So I will build this center. It's a youth center that provides sports activities, but it will provide guaranteed after-school tutoring, a guaranteed mentor you'll be matched up with, life skill training, and financial literacy all on one one umbrella. If a kid does not want to go to college, it's perfectly fine. But coming through this program, you'll be a prepared young adult to get into society. So that's my job. I'm looking at at where our youth are now and where they're coming. As a college professor, I get to see this cohort of kids that's between 18 and 24 and look what their preparation is and what their vision is right for the future. And what I've found out, a lot of these kids coming out of high school has zero skill level, right? They have zero knowledge level. So it's kind of a clean slate when they come to college. I thought, well, every kid's not going to go to college, so how can we create a bubble, if you will, for Oklahoma City that provides productive producers for our economy? I thought, wow, this youth empowerment center idea. So I would use that $2.5 million to build that, build that program and get kids locked in and ready to go. Do you feel that uh, the city of Oklahoma is using what they have available to them now um, in the best, with best interest of the public? I think they could do a much better job. There's some services for such as youth services, homeless services, uh, other um, lower income individuals. But to my to my opinion, is that it has to go to the next level because they've got some services, but it's not eliminating the problem. I'm a problem solver, so my job will be to figure out, okay, we're doing some things, but what is the next level to completely solve this problem? So the city does have resources. We passed a phenomenal um, package called MAPS-4, which was voted on by the public. It allocated certain buckets of money for different type of services. They've got a huge mm-hmm. chunk of money for the homelessness problem. They've got a chunk of money for beautification. They've got this and that. So I think we have enough money available, Tanya, to do what I have in my plan in my head about totally eliminating some of these issues. We have a huge homelessness issue in Oklahoma City. Now, granted, we have some programs, but here we go again. We have never pumped in enough money to totally secure and eliminate this problem, right? So – my job is to figure out what does that look like, what are we doing currently, and how can we take that to the next level. Right, right. That's fantastic. Okay, and how long has the mayor uh, that's there now, how long has he been there? He's been there for one term, uh, got voted in in 2018. Uh, okay. So it's been, what, three years for him? No. Okay. And you just feel that you can do a better job? 
Well, you don't I have anything that... against them. You just feel that you can do a better job. You have that different ideas, or yeah, absolutely. I, I like David Hope. David Hope's a, a good man. I think he's done. I think he's done what he needed to do as as a mayor. But I feel like there's a whole chunk of other programs and people that have never been catered to uh, that has needs. And, and my focus is to focus down on those people and provide them access to resources and services. Okay. Okay. Um, that's, that's fantastic. And so, all right. So then let me ask you, I like what you said about, you, you, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, red or blue or whatnot, because the governing body uh, hires nonpartisan. So it really isn't about, it really isn't about which, you know, which party you're you're with. Once you are in this position, it is it's all about it's all about uh, nonpartisanship. So that's what I, that's what I love about what you just said, and and it's what I read, you know, uh, regarding Oklahoma City government and how it's supposed to be. Things aren't always as they are supposed to be, as as you know. <laughs> <laughs> It might read well. What do you, what do you think, Melissa? Um, no, <laughs> things are not always how they're supposed to be. But, you know, when we get people into office who are very uh, motivated to hopefully move things to the way they are supposed to be, that's how you make change. And so I, I am, yeah. So people like Jimmy Lawson who come into office and really want to change things for the better um, is very encouraging to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm all the way here in Connecticut, but it doesn't mean I don't see other states and what goes on in other states and the need for to, to resolve some of these issues and the need for reform because I think even criminal justice issues go deeper than just the, the criminal justice system. You have to understand that, you know, why crime rates the way they are with the way they are, or why recidivism rates are the way they are, because you need to go deeper and, and figure out why certain things are happening and what resources are needed and, and which communities need these resources, just like Jimmy was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how about, let's talk about downtown. Um, do you think that it's, that, uh, that how the downtown, the, the, the you know, the city, it's a big city. How many, what's the population in Oklahoma City now? Population? It's uh, six, 680,000. That's, that's a big city. Yep. That's a big city. So how do you feel that the city is actually functioning um, downtown? Like, do you think Main Street, which, you know, it's hard to, you know, I, I'm probably using the wrong words. But do you feel that uh, there's enough, uh, obviously you want more services. We just spoke about that. But other than what we were, we were just speaking of, do you find that, um, that, down, that the city is running fairly well? Yeah, I think they are. You know, the city's done a good job over the past 15 years with this amazing MAPS program that we passed uh, 15 years ago to bring in more of what I call attractions and different beautifications. You know, they built a um, a river walk, kind of like they have in San Antonio. They built one here in the city mm. uh, and built more restaurants around it and kind of upgraded, if you will, the, the, the facade of what downtown looks like. So 
in that essence, they've done a, an amazing job with that because we have a lot of new attractions. We've got a lot more stuff to do, which has been great. So I think from that standpoint, the city's done a great job. I think we're at a point now where we have kind of tailored off that that notion of growing and, and putting ourselves in a good position for people to move in and be attractive to other outside states and people. So now I think it's a good time to change the direction, right, of where we want to go to see what Oklahoma City looks like 10 to 15 years from now. And that is what I described earlier about who are the people that could support and make Oklahoma City grow to the next level. And that's the people who have never had their hands tangibly on some of the stuff that they may have access to but they can't get their hands on to help them on a personal level. So I think that is the new vision to me of where we can take OKC to the next level, right, because right now we've got an amazing downtown area. But outside of that, we've got these pockets of communities that feel like they never have their voices heard. Right, right. And that's what you and that's most important for you to address now. I think I think that's great. So you've got some good things to say about it. So you think transportation and traffic that you know that kind of infrastructure that's all running flowing well now. Yeah, they they built a uh, streetcar deal through the downtown, which has been great. They also have some future plans coming really soon to extend some of those transportation services to some of the suburbs like Edmond and Yukon from OKC, which I think is really great. Um, so I think from it's a, a beautiful city, it really is. It's a yeah, it's kind city. of a sneak. It's kind of a sneaky city. You know, a lot of people don't think OKC is that large uh, until they come mm-hmm. in and like, wow, this is a pretty big city. <laughs> right, right, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. But it's is it because it's long? From what I from what I hear, can't confirm this, but I think we've got one of the largest um, areas as far as acreage goes, you know, across across the board compared to some of the other two top cities in the nation. So Oklahoma City has a large acreage, uh, if you will. We have a lot of land. So I think you're right. I think from that standpoint, makes mm-hmm. us look larger than what we really are, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, okay, so if you could change anything about the zoning, and you're saying good things about it, so to me I'm getting the feeling you might, might not say anything about it, but if you could change anything about the zoning, what would it be and why? Mm, so I, I think if I could change anything about our zoning, it would be where they have anticipated where the people growth is going. Now, there are certain sides of the city that has grown astronomically uh, from a zoning perspective, and then there's some other sides of the city that has not. I think, and that may be a on-purpose type deal of where the city wants to focus on. So I would, uh, first of all, look at zoning and say, okay, well, you have focused or we have focused on this particular area of the city. Now it's time to flip that paradigm and, and give some growth to these other sectors of the city and look at the zoning and figure out how we could, you know, how, how we could make that happen. Because uh, in, my, in my opinion, when I go to cities like Chicago or New York or, or L.A. or Houston or Dallas, uh, I see a robust city uh, across the board. I don't see just one particular side of the city that's prosperous and then other sides right. of the city that are not prosperous. That's kind of what I view about equity and zoning properly. So I would probably look, take a look at that time and figure out how we could disperse some of this growth to some other areas. 
I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more about that, that you see that in other cities as well where you want to spread that out. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I know that, you know, obviously you get to get voted in, but uh, how would you induce other the, the residents in helping with the decision-making processes? Uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of our meetings, uh, all of our meetings are are publicly um, allocated where you can come in and you can voice some of your concerns during the council uh, meetings. So I would encourage our citizens that if if you want something done, please tell me because I want to be a voice for you. And then you're allowed to come and provide your recommendations and your opinions at the meeting, so all of the other council members can figure out kind of what the people in the general public are saying. So I think that's an open door. I feel like that's a different uh, that's a different mantra than what we have now. We don't really have a open door mantra when it comes to that. So I think that concept will be very different uh, under mm-hmm. my administration and put the onus on the on the citizens in the community. Because at the end of the day, Tanya is if the citizens in the community are happy, then I'm happy. If they're unhappy, we've got to figure out how to make them happy. Right, because you won't be happy because you'll be hearing all about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not the guy that's going to turn your back. You're not the guy, the guy that's going to turn your back on these people. So that's that's great to hear. And I love your, I love the motivation. I love what you have to say about um, your plans and the way that you're answering these questions that you and I did not talk about in advance. I want to let our, our listeners know this. Uh, we had planned on talking, but but we we did not talk in advance. So these are unscripted questions that uh, Jimmy Lawson is very nicely uh, answering. I, I, I can really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's very, now, what about the Oklahoma? I'm going to bring up a tough subject right now. What about the Oklahoma County Jail? That Ooh, has been. Yes, yeah, that's a hot subject there. That's a tough one. It, it is uh, Oklahoma City. Um, branched off and formed the Oklahoma City Jail Trust, who's under mm-hmm. the ownership for the county jail now, uh, which has been about a year and a half now. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. historically since they built that jail, it, is, it has always been a, an eyesore. It's always, it was built, first of all, it was, it was built improperly. They had a lot of structural issues with it. And then, of course, the overcrowding as time went by uh, of how they uh, handle cases, the, the population of the county jail just astronomically grew it, you know, within the 10-year frame. So it became overcrowded, uh, the facilities was bad, and then they had a tough time managing, you know, managing that facility. So all those three components provided a, a hotbed, if you were a big pot of just a lot of drama, you know, surrounding that particular facility. Um, and I, I've attended a lot of some of the uh, meeting stuff. It's very interesting to hear all the dynamics that goes into that particular facility, and uh, it's a huge challenge. Because here's the deal: time you've got you've got to house these people somewhere, and when you have a uh, distressed facility such as that, it it uh it just it brings a a hard discourse to the public. They don't trust the system, they don't trust the people who are managing the system. So you have this huge public versus this facility outcry. And, um, you know, to be honest, Tanya, you asked the question, that is a very, very hot topic. Unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, depending on what side of the fence you're on, um, you know, Oklahoma City uh, used to manage that. Of course, it's in different hands now. But I just feel like because of the history of it, uh, 
You know, OKC is mm-hmm. always going to be OKC is always going to be tied to that. And I think yeah. we have to figure out from a you know a, a joint venture standpoint and figure out how to how to make these changes. As Melissa said earlier, I feel like it's about leadership. We just voted in a new county sheriff um, that previously previously was the overseer of the facility now is in the jail trust. But I feel like that particular role could have a huge impact just because of the position, right, to figure out, okay, this is what we need to change this system. And as you said when you first began your show, it is a, it is a system that is <laughs> – has a lot of holes in the boat, and when you're mm-hmm. not, you're when you're not transparent, and you don't hold yourself accountable for what is wrong. That's that's where it begins. You know, how do we solve problems? We're, we're trans. We have to be transparent that we have a problem. It's unequitable, right? The facilities suck, or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, have yeah. enough accountability to say we have to make changes, and this is the way it's going to be. Right, right, and and then the discourse is not only coming from the outside, but coming from the inside, and then you've got, you know, dangerous, dangerous situations there. Yeah, as we as we know, there's been some dangerous situations, and uh, so I'm 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 hoping that with the trust that's uh, managing it now, that there will be. Um, more change, but it's still within the city limits of Oklahoma City, and and, and we, I know that, you know, it could use all the support it can get. That's for sure because there's right. still unhappiness with it. Yeah, but so it kind of takes your hands off of it, doesn't it, though? Oh yeah, it actually does. Yeah, they they took they basically stripped the power from you know the mayor. Uh, to the county jail. So, yeah, as you said, it's pretty much out of my hands now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay, the great great, uh, great answers for everything. So um, let me see. I have a few things written down here. Um, what uh, – okay, so you're – you don't hold any public office now, right? But you, but you are definitely engaged and involved in everything that's going on there. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, I certainly know why you decided that you want to do this. Now, what do you see in the big picture? Have you, are you seeing beyond this position right now? Ooh, that's a million dollar question, Tanya. <laughs> I can't help it. I gotta ask. I gotta ask. And that's because I think especially because I really like what you're saying. <laughs> you know? so, Did you know asked me this one question before? Did you say what Melissa? I, I, I said I think I've asked Jimmy the, the same question before, or I um, <laughs> insinuated it. Let's say. Me to ask you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, I kind of obligated myself to moving to Oklahoma if Jimmy ever runs for governor. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, you know that's a great question. Uh, you know, my first job will, will be to get in as mayor and do the best job that I can as possible. Uh, and then if any other amazing doors open for me above that, I definitely would take that in consideration. Uh, I think I think the state of Oklahoma uh, could benefit from leadership that is people-oriented and not politically-oriented. I think we've seen the same, what they call, same, uh, same show for a long time, 
And uh, mm-hmm. I think the citizens of Oklahoma, not just Oklahoma City, but the state of Oklahoma, would be very open to have an idea of, you know what, let's give the power back to where it belongs, which is the people. Give the power to back where it belongs, yeah. Uh, so I, I think right now our whole country is starting to feel that way. You know, that we we need to have the power back where where it belongs. And uh and we the people, we the people and abide by the constitution and and you know, Melissa and I you know talk about this a lot, is that when you ever have a question about what's legal or not, the constitution really, you know, is that's the final say. That's that's the gavel above all other gavels. And by not following the constitution um, anything else that uh, any, any other laws uh, that or statutes that are in place, you know, none of them can pervert the Constitution, yet many do. Right. Yet many do. Right. So, you know, what do you do? What do you have to say about those uh, those statutes and those laws that are actually perverting the Constitution that are being upheld? You know, that's a great question because we're, we're seeing that across the board, not only in the state of Oklahoma. We're seeing all these pockets of cities and states yeah. and jurisdictions that are doing what you just described. I would say it starts with that accountability. We're, we're a human-based system. We're going to make mistakes. And it's, it's mind-boggling, and particularly for my best friend Julius Jones, to look at a system that is having the toughest time saying that, you know what, we made a mistake. And we're a human-based system. So how do we correct that? We show integrity, we have accountability, and we say, hey, you know what, Mr. Jones? We're sorry we made a mistake. Let's right our wrong. So I think that mantra of being honest and transparent is something that is the missing piece, in my opinion, across the board in America. You have all these high-power DAs and, and AGs that they don't care. They don't care about right, doing the quote-unquote right thing. They're, I want to follow the law and the Constitution and this and that. But at the end of the day, you and I know it's real easy to say, okay, we've got some stuff that does not matching up, it's not lining up. How about taking yep. a look? Hey, and, and how about having this integrity and say, you know what, maybe we did mess up. So how do we solve that? I think, Tanya, is the question, is the magical question, is getting people to run for these positions that have that type of mantra, the AGs. And that's, in my opinion, how we change the paradigm, right? We elect people who are fighting for the people. Right, right. And then, and that means that people need to stand up and let people know what they want. And we Bingo. need more people, not politicians, to be running for running for offices. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. now. Are you are you willing to uh, and I, I I understand either way. Um, are you willing to talk about corruption? Uh, sure. Okay, so you're willing to talk about corruption as opposed to you know human error and mistakes. So you're not afraid to call out somebody that you feel should be investigated. Well, you know, it's 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 all for me. It's all about transferring when you have when you have individuals who are operating in such a stance that does not look right, does not feel like, feel right. Uh, you've done some investigation. You've done your numbers, your stats. An example for my best for 22 years, I've studied this data, right, for a long time on his particular case. So it's it's not a surprise. It's not nothing hidden about the fact that, 
you know, there was some corruptibility going on with Julius's case from the DA's mm-hmm. office to the background work, right, to trying to get stuff into a court of criminal appeals because the statute is set up in such a way that you can't even introduce stuff. So you got all these roadblocks and procedural stuff that provides, in my opinion, that provides the capacity to have corruption, right? So if you have the leeway, it's a breeding ground. So if you're able to get one through, by golly, then we're going to get the rest of them through like this as well. And uh, Mm -hmm. we saw that in Oklahoma County with Bob Macy, um, um, what a huge rate of African-American males being convicted and wrongfully convicted in Oklahoma County. We were – about 75% of all the cases that were convicted, but then overturned, right? So out of the 54 he put on death, 23 were overturned, you know, later. So that takes the, the, the margin of error. But that's not by mistake, Tanya. That is by design, right? That not is that corruptibility. There it is. That, that corruptibility you just talked about that they were getting away with for many years. And in my opinion, you know, if it really wasn't for the exposure that Julius's cases had, right? Because nobody knew what was going on, but now the whole world kind of has this microscope on Oklahoma County, and they're like, "Wait a minute, how long has this been going on?" Right, and David Prater do it is doing everything and anything he can just to shut it down. Like I said before, he's gaslighting. He's 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 trying to do everything, that, you know, uh, that that actually seem to occur, you know, by, by blaming other people for things going wrong. You know, he's trying to do everything that, that seemed to occur that went bad in uh, Julius's case. So, oh, let's investigate, let's investigate the uh, partner and parole board. Well, why, you know, why didn't the, uh, why wasn't there an investigation uh, uh, against the people that did, that put him behind bars, you know, with a, with a death sentence to begin with? Mm. You know, so instead he's trying to just pivot the story, and 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 I mean, what is like Melissa said? What is the probable cause? What is the probable <laughs> cause to do that? There's You're a you want to think about lack of of accountability. Um, there you go. Lack of transparency. There you go. Um, lack of integrity. There you go. So those three things that were mentioned that are very important to build public trust, I don't see them in the DA's office. And I know that, you know, it's been said, well, you know, Prater was not the DA when Julius was convicted. No, he wasn't. But this conduct has continued, and it hasn't stopped. So Prater, in my eyes, is the one that's pushing for the execution of Julius. And so there's been many allegations of different types of misconduct. So while he wasn't the DA that tried the case, he's continuous, continuing the legacy in my eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And, and how much did he really get to know the case or did he need to get to know the case because he just already knew how he was going to respond to it because the baton oh. continues to be passed down and, and, and that's not okay. So it might not be in the best interest of the, the prosecutor at the time. It may not be in the best interest of the investigators, you know, that are still alive, that are still with us. Do we have to really wait until people to die, like Bob Macy, like Joyce Gilchrist, until they become notoriously known and, and, and accountable from the grave for, uh, you know, for having other people behind bars 
for their for their for their life, and we don't know. We don't know if anybody was executed that shouldn't have been. We just don't oh. know that. But the numbers that but the numbers that you gave, like you said, and like Melissa has said, of all of, uh, all of those that were actually reversed, it, it has to make one wonder, doesn't it? And that's why one of the reasons why there should never be the death penalty. Because, you know, whatever happened to the prongs, whatever happened to the prongs of beyond a reasonable doubt, there aren't. Whatever happened to the prongs of what it takes to convict somebody of 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 a criminal offense and to put them to death, that's freaking crazy. That's all I know is it's crazy. People are being put to death by hearsay. People are being put to death by... Uh, they're they're being put to death by a snitch testimony. Another travesty, That's, you know, in in our system. So wow. uh, so so you feel that so you feel that uh, having a conviction integrity unit and also giving young kids something to do rather than be on the streets after school and getting them there. How how are you going to get them there? Well, we uh, that's part of the money. So in MAPS 4, we passed some money that was allocated for the youth centers and the built and the transportation for all of that. So that will be city provided uh, with transportation, kind of similar to like city buses. They will have some transportation services for certain neighborhoods wherever the center is built uh, that will give access to the kids to uh, have transportation. So this, I think it's going to be amazing. And how do you think the police presence is now in Oklahoma City? Um, I think the police uh, is is a um, is a total different animal. You know, you've got you've got this cut and dry line between. Uh, here we go again about transparency for Oklahoma City. I'm and I'm very transparent. You've got a cut and dry line between the black community and the white community, right, and the Hispanic community as well. So you've got how law enforcement deals with and or treats those who are from the white community or those who are from the black and Hispanic community. Uh, and here's my solution to how we can lock arms and navigate this this backdrop because the African-American community and Hispanic community does not have a huge liking for law enforcement. That's reality. Uh, but one mm-hmm. way I think we can solve that is what we call relatability policing, and that is putting – officers in that particular neighborhood that looks like the citizens. So if I'm mm-hmm. able to if I'm able to attract Hispanic or African American officers and we place those individuals in those neighborhoods, I know what it did for me cuz we had we had officers at our games. Me and Julius was basketball players, right? So when we had these big games and lo and behold all the officers who would manage these games were African Americans cuz we had an African American high school. And right. that made a that made a difference for me, for me and Julius and my teammates about how we looked at police because they were on site. We built relationships with them, and then guess what? It made us not want to do anything that was illegal because we knew we had to have accountability partner right as the officer. So I know it works. I think we need to expand that to citywide. Mhm. Mhm. And is there so you know? There's no doubt that there is some division of where people live and their and their color. But do you see integration becoming more of a difficult thing given the environment? I think integration has been great. 
I think it's been great. Uh, the city of Amherst is a great example of what it looked like back in the 90s, preferred to what it does now. It's night and day, right? It's more diverse. There's more uh, integration, if you will. So in, in my opinion, I, I truly believe in integration. I love integration. I think, you yep. know, there's no difference, no difference between you and I. And when we when we get cut, we Thank both you. bleed red. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, we we only have a few we only have a few minutes left, but I I I, I honestly I hope that we can have you back on. I know that your you know your push is going to start coming up soon, and uh, but I hope that we can continue to have you back on and 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 talk about your campaign, and we can have you on for longer. But can you give us a, a minute of uh, of your time because I have to close out and I want to give one other update before I close out. Can you give can you give us a minute of uh, of your closing thoughts and how people can reach out to you uh, to help you with your campaign and as well as where it can be found? Absolutely. So you can go to my website is www.lawson4okc. That's L-A-W-S-O-N-4-O-K-C. Dot com. All of my information is there. You can sign up to volunteer. Uh, I'm always looking for more volunteers. We have a lot of work to do over the next couple of months. I will be grateful and grateful for your help. If you want to make a monetary contribution to the campaign as well, you can also do that on the website as well. Um, my Facebook page is Jimmy Lawson for OKC Mayor. Uh, you can follow that as well. I'll keep you updated with upcoming events. And uh, anyone that you love to help public, I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate all your time here tonight and giving us uh, your thoughts and what you're running on. And we look forward to having you back on again. I, I, I must say, you're, you've got a great voice too. So it's a, it's a very commanding voice. So we appreciate you and all you're doing and your involvement. And Melissa, you, you I'm sure you've been told that before, right? <laughs> what, uh, what? <laughs> you talk, you're talking to me. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know, I have, I have, a, I have a lot of fun, you know, with you know, teaching and presenting, and, and just having fun with people and giving information. And I, I think no matter where you're from and who you are, you know, your capacity to to learn and acquire knowledge, I think it's just it's just unbelievably great. And live a good life. Live a good Absolutely. life. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much. And, Melissa, as always, thank you so much for, for coming on. Do you have a, a passing thought or a, a leaving thought before I uh, do a very, very quick update? And close sure, up? actually. I, I would like to say really quick that, you know, we were talking about Julius and we were talking about the fact that his uh, clemency hearing is scheduled for October 26th, so we still need to push. We still need people to support. Um, we need people to contact Governor Stitt and, and urge him to um, grant Julius clemency, and um, you can go to Julius's the, the website www.justiceforjuliusjones.com forward slash action. That will bring you directly to a site where you can actually send um, emails to Governor Stitt. It will give you information how to contact him. Um, we can still contact the Board of Pardon and Paroles because now we know it comes back to them again. So I I just want to stress that, you know, we are still in very, very much a fight for, for Julius Jones, and that's how people can help. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, again, we'll be back on um, Sunday night, next Sunday night at the normal time. It'll be 7 o'clock Central. Okay, well, I just want to let our listeners know that I, I promised an update on George Gates as well. George Gates is in Ohio, 
and uh, he was part of the Lucasville riot, but he also, he was found himself in prison uh, based on a wrongful conviction. He's been wrongfully convicted twice, and he is sentenced to death. Uh, there is not an execution date. I, myself, am going to be interviewing him this coming Thursday, the very first time since he has been in prison for over 30 years. So I'm going to be interviewing him on Thursday. It will not be live, but it will be shared uh, with you. Um, so I've gotten permission, and it's really something else. So um, I'm looking forward to George finally being able to speak for himself because uh, his public uh, his his federal prosecutors are not letting him speak on his own behalf. So um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I uh, appreciate uh, your listenership, appreciate your support. I'm Tanya Hathaway with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told. On Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB FM, Lighthouse Christian Radio, and the surrounding areas. God bless everybody, and good night.